Hello and welcome to the UX in Libraries podcast. My name is Andy Priestner. This is the first in a series of podcasts in which I'll be interviewing UX experts and specialists working in libraries all over the world. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by Vernon Fowler, who is the Digital Library UX Specialist at Deakin University in Melbourne. Hey Vernon. Hey Andy, how's it going? Good, thanks. Um, it's kind of special and appropriate that Vernon is my first guest in this series because he was responsible for getting me down under in the first place. Um, it feels like several years ago, but it was just last year mm. um, before the second UX and Libraries conference. And he thought it would be a good idea to get me over to, um, to Melbourne and Australia more widely to talk about UX and run a few workshops. And we should just do a shout out to Graham Oak and Louise Dick of Caval for being part of that um, plan. Because mm. it came off, I think. I think it worked really well. It was definitely a lot easier to get you down here than it was to get you know, dozens of us over to the UK. Yeah, exactly. Having said that, Vernon will be joining us for the UX and Libraries Conference in Glasgow next month. Hooray! Where he'll be giving a workshop. What are you giving a workshop on, Vernon? Tell us. I'm um, giving a workshop on paper prototyping. Um, and the guts, or the premise of that, is that... Um, I've seen plenty of sort of high fidelity digital prototypes and they're met with feedback but I believe it's slower coming and that probably your project has gone a little bit too far ahead without getting that uh, input from your target users. So let's get on with some low fidelity prototyping and get these in front of users as early as possible. I see. So will the people who attend that workshop get a chance to get hands on with the paper and Absolutely. Yep. So I'll be bringing along um, paper, pencils, sharpies, um, sticky notes, and all the other stationery that you might need for a paper prototyping workshop. Cool. Sounds very cool. So I've got a series of questions that I'm going to be asking all the guests on the podcast. Um, I'm going to divert from it. um, You know, it's not going to be absolutely specific each time, but some key questions about what people are up to, what they've been reading, and what are their thoughts on UX work. So um, the first question that I think I'm going to ask everyone is, what are they working on at the moment? So Vernon, tell all. Uh, a couple of things that are happening right now for, for me and, and the team I work with, because it's as we all know, UX is incredibly collaborative. Um, one next week is super exciting. It's a co-design workshop where we're redesigning our library homepage. Uh, we're actually calling it their library homepage because we're working together with half a dozen students at a couple of workshops um, and it's just broken up into three simple phases. The first phase they'll, they'll gather um, cutouts that we've printed of uh, existing library homepage elements or simply create them themselves with pencil and paper and sharpies. Um, that second phase will actually ask them to prioritise those elements and we've got a, uh, a mobile template because it's so okay. much easier and they need to be thinking about mobile anyway and they yeah. already are. Um, so we've got these really tall, skinny uh, mobile paper templates where they can either draw directly on it or just simply stick and glue um, those elements on. And putting up the top the thing that they think is the most important and putting down the bottom the thing that they still want there but is the lowest priority for them. And the last phase um, to actually present their creation to the others together there in the workshop. So people will be in teams of like two or three Cool. Um, so that's one co-design workshop. Really looking forward to that next week. That's so, some student input there. So obviously that's gaining attitudinal information about what people think they want on a website. Mm-hmm. So 
how are you um, balancing that with how people actually use the website currently and may use the website in the future? So that'll be the student input as to what they want in their dream homepage. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things that have to go whether they like it or not, and there are a couple of things that have to stay whether they like it or not. Mm. So, for example, it's a library. You do need to be able to search the library, so of course the search box has to stay. What form that search box takes is up for grabs. Mm. So, um, but there will be a search box, um, and the one thing that is definitely going is um, a carousel banner because we've got um, no way that we can sustain an accessible version of the carousel banner. So that's going. Okay. So are there any plans to usability test and, and at what point could you be doing that? Absolutely. So the students who are actually joining us next week for the uh, workshop, we're inviting them back to beta test once we've actually got something cool. up for them to beta test. But as well as them, we've actually got um, a postgraduate student who we've actually um, recruited uh, ongoing at the university who um, is de completely dependent on a screen reader and various other assistive technologies. Right. Um, so fortunately, we can call on her to um, run it through uh, her assistive technologies as well as us doing our own testing with, um, with screen readers. It's great when you've actually got a person who can actually do it for real. Sure, sure, yeah. Fantastic. So that's one of your, your big projects at the moment. What else? Uh, the other one I've, I've had a little bit of input in, mostly in the usability testing side, is there is this amazing student dashboard being developed. It's being developed for these very large sort of touch screens that we have at a couple of our campus libraries. And we've designed simple usability testing tasks uh, and we're ready to run that past um, a bunch of students and we're also pleased to see that the university librarian himself will be interested in being uh, and doing the same usability test. We'll put him on last because I'm sure he's got questions about what did the students think or feel about sure. about these yeah. particular tasks. Um, so and that's, quite, that's quite a coup getting him, yeah? Yes, absolutely. It's always great when you get support from, from high up. Uh, and in interest, uh, that's the kind of buy-in that we're really looking for. Um, and the other sort of input that we've had in it is a bit of a heuristic evaluation. Um, I've got some Gosh. colleagues in... <laughs> heuristic! Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're just basically just inspecting and having a look at it yeah. know, using uh, it sounds background bad, right? knowledge and experience. <laughs> it does. And um, so fortunately, I, I ch chat and talk a lot with our colleagues who are in the university IT department and uh, it's taken, uh, I've shown this dashboard to them, they've had a look at it and gone, ooh, have you thought about this, have you thought about that? Um, so some little things like uh, easy to fixes like contrast, insufficient contrast right. uh, and some other less easy to think of aspects such as there, there is a, a news ticker across the bottom um, but at the moment, there's no pause button on that ticker and there is no uh, jump to the next or jump back to the previous button either. So uh, maybe the second iteration will, will have those features, but the first one is kind of missing a bit of those accessibility right. considerations at this point. But that's a student dashboard. We're just about ready to test with five students for that. I'm looking forward to the university librarian testing it himself. That sounds excellent. Okay. 
So what I'm also really interested in when I'm talking to people is what they're reading at the moment. Mainly so I can just like, you know, don't have to do any work myself. I can just, <laughs> just nick recommendations from people. And we were talking earlier about how I like very thin books. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, I've recently become a bit of a fan of those myself. Um, uh, not just thin books, but also thin podcasts as well. So, um, but in terms of um, email, like newsletter subscriptions, I'm trying to cull my newsletter subscriptions down greatly because there's just too many at the moment. Um, but the one I'll probably stay subscribed to forever is um, from Jerry McGovern. Um, he sends out a weekly email on a Monday morning, um, which is often about uh, the culture in organisations and trying to get a user-centred culture happening and uh, digital transformation. So Jerry McGovern is one I'll probably okay. stay subscribed to. In terms of podcasts, I definitely tune in to Paul Boeg's shorter um, Digital Insights podcast. Yeah. Um, similar to Jeremy McGovern, he's talking about digital transformation, workplace culture, user-centered design, and so on. Um, and it's bite-sized. I think it varies from 6 to 12 minutes, so I can fit it in. Yeah. Books I've been reading recently that... Uh, One's thin, one's not so thin. Um, <laughs> the user's journey, which is story mapping products that people love, okay. um, is one of the books that we actually ran at Book Club, the UX Melbourne Book Club late last year. That was great. Um, and the other one that I keep sort of referring back to is Practical Empathy by Indy Young. So that's uh, one that if you haven't read, I recommend. Okay. Um, book apart books are on the thin side which is why I like them you're supposed to be able to read them in a one transatlantic flight um, and Just Enough Research by Erica Hall is probably one of my favourites I keep pointing back to that okay. um, again and again other books um, I'm a huge fan of uh, A Pocket Guide to Interviewing for Research I think it's a great accompaniment uh, or alternative to Steve Portugal's book on the topic yeah um and uh, perhaps a little bit older the elements of user experience user-centered design for the web since i'm working in the web yeah um, cool. and last blogs uh, again like emails i'm trying to read less blogs just because there's so many great ones out there but one that i tend to be reading these days is from uh prototyper.io okay. and it's a podcast a blog called post called empathy is not a part-time job right it should be embedded and continuous is that the point yeah well it's a bit similar to that um work like a patron day we only do it once a year yes yeah so um let's try and do it a little bit more than, yeah. than just the once a year annual thing you know, yeah. let's let's do it you know every day sure yeah so um I'm really interested to hear when I talk to um, everyone on the podcast um, going forward. Um, yeah, it's great to hear success stories, but I'm also really keen to hear what is not working. I want to hear about failure. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's obviously it's up to our, my guests as to how much they reveal about the failure and what that looks like. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of guess I want to ask what is working and what, what is not working for you at the moment in terms of the UX work you're engaged in. Mm, well... In terms of working, something that's bleedingly obvious to myself is the support that I get from our own team um, and from all the teams across across Deakin University Library. 
um, but also from the UX staff in the Deakin University IT department. Um, and that's been growing and growing. We've been having great collaboration. Uh, as well as growing support from well, across the whole community right here in, in not just Australia but in, in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. So that's been, that's been working and it's just been growing and growing over the last mm, couple of years at least. Um, but in saying that, getting that support has been somewhat of a, a long and hard road. Uh, I'm quite pleased that our team recently gained uh, some new leadership and our director has very quickly got behind uh, a tiered structure of incentives for students who right. participate in our user research. Um, and she also plans to attend our co-design workshop next week. So she's really gotten in straight away on um, the buy-in and it's so refreshing to have that. Like, within yeah. someone's first week of, of doing Absolutely. the job. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. And on the downside? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to what's coming next because <laughs> we've been without um, a director for over a year now. Okay. Um, we lost our team supervisor about the same time. Um, and it's it's been quite difficult when you're trying to get project owners to include some user research in their projects and if they look at it and see that it looks like too much effort yeah. they, they refrain or are reluctant to include some sort of user research in their projects yeah. um, so it's it's looking really positive ahead but it has been quite difficult in the past to to get user research included yeah. in projects and you know we're designing things and building things that are for the students, that are for the academics, yeah. yet we haven't been one for a long time and yeah. some of us haven't, haven't been anywhere near knowing what it's like, what the pain points are or, or what's already working well for those target users. And we just can't hope to project that and understand that. Mm. Yeah. I'm interested to hear that you're calling it user research rather than UX research, which makes it sound much more accessible. Is that a deliberate thing that you do so that people don't think it's something that they don't understand, perhaps? I think if we can say it in less words, um, <laughs> I know uh, libraries are often full of jargon and I'm fairly new to libraries. Yeah. And I'm constantly asking, what's this, what's that? Yeah. Um, so I think it just comes naturally to me to call it user research because... Yeah we're not just interested in the experiences that they're having or that they want to have, we're also interested in them as a person because we need to get to know them as well. Great point. Yeah. Okay. Um, just before we um, went on air with this podcast, we were having a chat about um, maturity of UX in organisations. And I'd mentioned Carl Sheldon Hesse's maturity model, which is the five stages of organisations becoming user-centric, um, level one being that people are just making stuff up and aren't really talking to users, and level two is that people are starting to get interested in this stuff and a few people are dabbling. And by level three, you've got UX specialists employed, but the problem there is that they, it's not something that's user-centric across the organisation, it's specialists in separate departments, it's a bit them and us. By the time you get to four and then later to, f to five, the ideal, do we ever get to five, I doubt it, five, everyone's user-centric all the time, and um, 
and it's everyone's empowered to do user research and it's it's amazing in fact i've worked in an institution recently where it's starting to look that way and that's very exciting but it's also incredibly rare but um Vernon had another model that he, he wanted to share that was similar but more simplistic, I think. Mm, yeah. I think it's, it's certainly clearer, especially at those, those irky levels, those middle levels. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's actually from um, Thomas Sharon. So Thomas Sharon has written a book called Validating Product Ideas Through Lean User Research. And his maturity model is described really well in a, in a blog post over at UX Matters. Um, I think Andy's going to put a link to the uh, to the post for you, um, and it basically divides up uh, UX uh, research maturity in an organisation into four quadrants, uh, and the axes there are: do you have staff or not, and are you getting buy-in or not, and of course that ideal dream. Uh, state of maturity for your organization is you've got both. You've got the buy-in and you've got the staff. Hopefully more than a team of one, but uh, at least you know having staff and having buy-in, you're in a good place um, and stay there. Yeah. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got nothing. You've got no buy-in into the research that is being done and you've got no full-time ongoing staff who have dedicated UX roles. Yeah. But the interesting quadrants are the other two quadrants, which are much more common. Uh, and Tomo goes into some sort, sort of a, a longer description that I'm giving here. But he said, if you've got uh, you know, some staff employed in a UX role, yes, on that axis, but you're not getting any buy-in into either doing user research or into the research that you're doing already, you know, it's not being taken forward, then you're in that less desirable stage of, or phase or sector of approaching immaturity. Uh, and question, if things are changing, great, if they change for the better. If not, decide whether you want to stick around in that organisation or whether you should find a, a better job elsewhere. Uh, and the other sort of interesting side, the interesting sector, is the approaching maturity where you don't necessarily have the staff in full-time roles. It might just be uh, somebody in the organisation who's been temporarily put onto a project where go and do some user research, find out about this, find out about that. But there is the buy-in. So your C-level executives and management are behind the research that gets done and later that can easily lead to hey, let's put somebody on part-time to keep doing this because yeah. this is great work. Yeah, so yeah. it's an interesting, um, it's much simple when you see the visualization, so hopefully have a look yeah, at the link. Um, but it's an interesting UX research maturity model, which is, I think, uh, a simpler explanation and it helps you decide, are you in a good place or are things becoming good or should I consider um, finding work elsewhere? Yes, yeah, where are we in that scale? Sure. Okay, um, one final question for you, because we're coming towards the end of our time together today. Um, we're both in agreement that we, we don't want to have huge long podcasts to listen to, because no one has the time. But, um, yeah, so the, my last question for you is, have you got any advice for anyone out there doing UX work who might be struggling? I, think, I guess it relates to that maturity model. Mm. What, what have you found helpful to do, or what advice maybe have you received, or... Uh, a couple of things, and I think um, I think Jerry McGovern has said this first thing. Um, Shaw Paul Boeg has as well. Uh, 
but I'm pretty sure it's Jerry McGowan who said, patience, patience and persistence. Okay. Um, stick around. Good things do come to to most you know, sustainable organizations, including the, the very library I'm working in. I waited a very long time, and I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Uh, stick with with Deakin Library because we've now got an excellent team leader. We've got an excellent director who's already got the buy-in. She's getting behind us. Um, and we've got a fantastic university librarian as well. So I'm really looking forward to the next weeks and months of working together with that team. But I have had to be very patient. Right. I've had to let some things go. Yeah. Um, when I thought projects could do really do with more user research, but it wasn't happening, let some things go. But that patient persistence that Jerry McGovern talks about is, is one great thing. Uh, and I suppose the other thing that, that's helped me a lot is reach out, reach out way beyond because I first remember thinking, oh my God, who else does UX in libraries? <laughs> is there anybody out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there are, there are plenty of people out there. There, you've just got to find them. So go and have a look, just like I did. I went and found uh, somebody just around the corner over at Swinburne University doing much the same thing. Yeah. Um, Dana's doing great work, so it's great to. Um, catch up with Dana when I can, um, and then even further abroad, interstate, there are people doing UX in Sydney libraries, in, yeah. in, in South Australia, uh, and Queensland as well, and then uh, I've gradually learned from there, there's even a guy in Singapore, Edward, doing some great user research and user experience in his library, um, and we decided, uh, I actually put it to Dana a little while back, should we create a Slack community that uh, you know, that we talk about at least stuff that's local in a sort of semi-local time zone, yeah. or should we merge with that um, sort of North American-based um, library UX Slack community? Yeah. And we decided it would be better to join up and join forces. Uh, so that's been great to bounce ideas off people to to try and get some feedback on projects that we're working on or how to approach different tasks and things like that. Um, one person in particular that helped me out last week was Rebecca Blakiston from Arizona um, with some suggestions and ideas for how we might approach this workshop that we're doing next week. Okay. Well, thanks so much for, um, for your time today, Vernon. Um, uh, lots to learn there and um, yeah, that patience and persistence stuff is definitely something that um yeah that's definitely a message for me <laughs> and it's certainly something that is, is my experience as well so um thank you vernon um we're gonna wrap there see you next time um we'll be talking to um to various people who have been involved in creating the ux in libraries conference which is happening um very shortly in glasgow so thank you very much for your time i hope you enjoyed listening and that you tune in again cheers bye Thank you. Looking forward to the yeah. conference. Bye.